You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 561, Backstage with Catherine Ryan, the final word on Glastonbury and the decline and fall of modern culture. That's all coming up after Mucha Buena and Real Girl. Yes, I Isabel Mutjabuena, mm. how time zips along. She was 37 a few weeks ago. Um, I've long Goodness been a fan. Me. Yeah, um, I love her She's voice. my age, Terence. She's, she's, we're the same age, pretty much. You grew up together. Now, <laughs> very much re-established with the Sugar Babes. That's yes. Mutjabuena, not you. Um, 
But here, from, <laughs> I was going to uh, say, although let's face it, and the wheel well, will turn again soon, and my time will come. Yeah. Uh, this was from her relatively short but excellent solo career from mm. 2007, number two in the UK, Mucha Buena and Real Girl. Just before the Sugar Babes reunited, now I can't remember if it was 20, that they reunited in 20, or rather they got the rights back to the name in 2019. So they, they were MKS, the original three, for a yeah. bit. But they got the rights back to the original name. Huge tour announced, uh, all that sort of thing. I So 2018 or 2019, Mutya Buena headlined Hastings Pride, right. um, which takes place on the bank holiday week, bank holiday Monday in August, usually. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it's not this year, but at that time it was on a large mm-hmm. open space called the Oval in Hastings, and which usually has fairgrounds on it and things like that. And she headlined on the Saturday night. And I wasn't there because I believe I was DJing somewhere else. But she was very well received. People mm-hmm. said she was fantastic. And she did do a Sugar Babes number or two, I think. And she did, yeah. of course, song for Matya and she probably did that as well and and was very much liked so good I for think her. she's fabulous yeah yeah she is and the Sugar Babes generally the original mm. lineup is fab and I really look forward to seeing them seeing them sort of back and going hello and welcome to the parish council it's episode 561 I'm Terence Stackham and well it's the question everyone's been asking let's find out has she made it into the fourth round at Wimbledon let's check <laughs> it's Juliet Harris no but Heather Watson oh, has and all power to her frankly I mean she should be doing this podcast frankly I think she'd be much better than me and maybe I can have a swing at whoever she gets in the fourth round at Wimbledon but anyway hi everyone hope you're and, well and just for clarity you're not replacing Steve Wright in the afternoon either are you you. No, I, is he going then? Yes. I've been out the loop this week. Yeah, I did he's not been know that. Today he's off. Goodness me! Yeah. Well, maybe somebody didn't love the show as much as was implied. After yes. all, who knows? Scott Mills anyway. is uh, stepping into his uh, shoes. Not well, that sort of makes sense, really. And also, bless Scott Mills, but I, I can't believe he was still on Radio One. So, I know, uh, so yes. I think it's time that he made that transition. Good luck to Scott. Stand-up comedian is it's an unusual description. Um, a generation or so ago, they were just comedians. Uh, mm. Ken Dodd, Bob Monkhouse. It was just assumed that they would stand up. It it wasn't exactly, a yes. description. Perhaps runaround comedian would be a better description because many of the current era of yes. comedians don't actually stand still. They're they're far more physical, uh, marching up and yeah. down like Michael McIntyre, and often throwing themselves around the stage to make a point. Um, it takes a degree of nerve, of course, and courage to mm. appear alone on a stage. Yet comedy does seem to attract a significant number of people with issues that we might think would lead them into feeling that being on a, on a stage is an ordeal, the last mm. place they would want to be. Uh, trying to gain more of an understanding of what is behind the stage performer, Catherine Ryan is hosting a series on Amazon Prime backstage with Catherine Ryan. Um, can we get to know a little bit more of the offstage personas of some well-known and less well-known comedians? Um, this week we watched, uh, it's just been released, we watched season one, episode one. Jules, what did you learn from watching Backstage with Catherine Ryan? I found this a very intriguing odd program it was very it didn't quite know what it wanted to be it was really weird because it was trying to be a sort of fly on the wall documentary that was also obviously quite confected and scripted and then you watch the comedians do their thing I mean I thought that we so the whole central conceit of it is that there are cameras everywhere and the comedians don't know when they're being filmed and when they're talking to each other 
rubbish. They know that they're being filmed all the time. They're comedians. That's what they do. They play for everything for laughs all the time. I speak as someone that used to do stand-up. I don't do stand-up anymore, and I play for laughs all the time. So why wouldn't they <laughs> do the same thing? And so the, the bits of it that work really well... I thought it was very interesting that all four of the main acts, so Desiree Birch, uh, Sean Walsh, um, a thingy, uh, what's his name, Mohammed, um, who I liked um, very much. Nick Mohammed. Nick Mohammed, yeah, and Jimmy Carr. They all came across well as people, I thought. And actually, Jimmy Carr is very different, not very different to his stage persona. But I was quite struck by his kindness, actually, and mm. his and his thoughtfulness. He was very kind to Desiree Birch before going yes. on, which I thought yeah. was really lovely, actually. And and I I quite enjoyed the comedians talking to each other. The bit where Nick Mohammed did the magic trick for Sean Walsh and Jimmy Carr, they were like kids. It was Mm. lovely to see actually, because they were so, and for all Jimmy Carr's kind of know it all, you know, I've seen it all before stage persona. He was genuinely thrilled at that trick. I thought that was so lovely. And, there was, of course, the you know attention came to Sean Walsh and, and Jimmy Carr's sort of cancellation disgraces, and there was a, a quite a, a, a fun moment where everyone was talking about it. And the two alum were like, "Yeah, the British press are worse than the American yeah. press," and I thought that was that was quite nicely done, actually. Um, weirdly, for this, and this is going to sound strange, the weak link in this for me was Catherine Ryan uh, mm. compared to everybody else. Now. I get that it's a little bit of a conceit, the whole thing. I saw very, this is going to sound awful because I have met Catherine Ryan before on gigs and, you know, I like her and I've liked her stuff previously. I didn't warm to her at all on this. I thought she was really, I, it was all surface and all artifice. I didn't see the real Catherine Ryan at any point. I felt that she was constant. And I know it's difficult when you're comparing, so you have to be kind of constantly on, but the other comedians seem to enjoy each other's performances. I mean, Nick Mohammed's performance was just wonderful, I think, with the without spoiling there. He does a magic. He plays this sort of idiot kind of children's entertainer. And he does a magic trip at the trick at the end where he gets a woman up in the crowd from the crowd. And it's it's fun. I thought it was phenomenal. I just thought it was so well done and so funny. And Jimmy Carr was, you know, thrilled by it. I don't think Catherine Ryan cracked a smile during anybody else's performance. I thought the bits with her and Jeff Northcott allegedly writing jokes, none of which were very funny. They were just all unpleasant, I think, in my view, um, between things. I don't believe that wasn't scripted. It was very much scripted. Jeff Norcott is the sort of so-called right-wing leading comedian who's continually complaining about not getting opportunities on shows. On this evidence, he doesn't get opportunities because he's very funny, is my view. I don't think it's anything that's very much to do with them. Um, to do with you know political views i like the fact that he wrote slightly lefty jokes and he was like i don't agree with some of this but i don't have a problem doing the jokes I, I admired him for that but i so i thought the best bits of the program were the comedians interacting with each other which was actually quite sweet in places and quite moving as long as you accept the fact that they all know the cameras are on and i enjoyed mo- you know pretty much all of the acts. desiree birch's material wasn't to my taste but i liked her as a as a person i thought she i thought she was very interesting um and I, I enjoyed all the comedians performances again I had a perception of Sean Walsh from the from the tabloids and stuff but I rather liked his act I thought it was silly but I quite enjoyed it I quite enjoyed his his sort of silly humor um I didn't enjoy the whole kind of uh, artifice of it and I found it difficult to love because 
I just I just didn't get on with Catherine Ryan in this programme. And because it was all about her tying everything together and these stupid sort of sections with her and Jeff Norcott writing the, writing the jokes in between, drop those, take those out. Have You know, if you're going to have Catherine Ryan do this, then do. But don't, don't do don't yeah. do it in that way because it's not really working the concept of seeing comedians talking to each other works uh, there's guardian we only watched the first episode with that that mm. lineup the guardian article that, that that reviews the series as a whole said that actually the next episode didn't work as well because two of the comedians just sat going over their notes and didn't really talk to anybody <laughs> else and that didn't really sort of <laughs> didn't really sort of work it's not really I mean, hot television is it no. no i mean the thing that worked about this was the fact that the comedians interact and you learned a bit about the comedians from the way they interacted with each other like um like uh, jimmy carr's kindness and uh, desiree birch's wisdom uh, nick mohammed being a sort of slightly over eager puppy which I, I really liked and he was a still a bit of an overgrown nerd and i really liked that he was very easily impressed by everybody else and i really warmed to that and sean walsh's thoughtfulness that was a lot more thoughtful than than one would have led to led to believe but the next set um, of comedians are Judy Love and Iago Graham who sit there and chat and Sarah Pascoe and Frankie Boyle who sit in their own dressing rooms reading their lines oh, so I can't imagine no. that would work so well so this worked well because it was you got to sort of you did see behind the curtain a bit and you know maybe there was some natural elements to the comedians sort of conversations with each other having said that the whole kind of artifice and the, the unpleasantness of, 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 I will say it's unpleasant, of Jeff Norcott and, and Catherine Ryan writing really horrible jokes about the other comedians. I didn't find that funny at all. I didn't think it worked. I thought this programme worked well when you saw the humanity behind the comedians rather than people doing, oh, look at me all the time. So, so there were things about this that didn't work, but there was some stuff that I enjoyed. It was watchable, I think. The show got off on an odd note for me with Catherine Ryan describing the venue as the notorious London Roundhouse. And I was thinking, what on earth hmm. is no- what's it notorious for? Being yeah, a exactly. grade two listed former <laughs> railway engine chair. That was strange. I, I'm um, not sure she had. I, 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 I don't think she had very much of a connection with this programme is what I would politely it, say. It was a strange show. I agree with you. I didn't enjoy it at all. It, it was like those um, made in Chelsea type shows that, that scripted yes. reality. Um, all a bit forced, over laughing mm. at each other's bants. But yet yeah, that segment, I couldn't agree more with it uh, more. That segment, the repeated segment where Jeff Norcott was riffing Horrible. with Catherine Ryan. Horrible. Writing introductions, you should guess. Yeah, they were just simply nasty comments about these people. I mean, whether that's considered bants, I don't know, but uh, I thought it was horrible. Um, yeah, four comedians, Desiree Birch, I found her a bit shouty. And attempting to shock, be, being sort of controversial yes. and offensive. Sean Walsh, Sean Walsh, nice suit, but I thought his his routine was was a little bit feeble. Um, Nick Mohammed, as you said, seemed to have put the most effort in. Yes, and also seemed the most at ease with himself and his yes. uh, his various uh, tricks that he did on stage or the quirks and twists that he did were, were very very uh, well executed yes. it was it and was then... excellently done and he he had some shocking material as well mm. but i thought it was very well done i thought i thought it, it really made me laugh actually yes. and i don't usually laugh at kind of shock stuff but no. it was it had some cleverness to it there's a there's a he, he shows a series of photos and and i thought that was quite well done actually yes, I, I agree and finally jimmy carr he seemed um, genuinely quick-witted throughout yes. and as you say yeah, kind absolutely. people his on stage material didn't seem that strong but he he did have the best 
comic timing i yes. thought but um i just feel that far too often today and i think it was just reflected particularly by Catherine ryan in this and to a degree desiree and sean walsh that poor material is covered up by um a Volume. manic stage presence yeah. and shouting and on the on the edge yeah bullying um routines i i know it's a big step to get up on stage but if you do then you you have to deliver more than shouty swearing absolutely although finally although having said that desiree birch had the best off the cuff of, of, of sort of observation for mm. me from all of the conversations that they were talking about whether or not what i think it might have been nick Mohammed was bullied at school and yeah. he tried to say he wasn't and desiree birch said very calmly britain isn't it everyone was bullied yeah. and i thought that was that was the best that was just so, and she didn't say it with any kind of zing but the timing was excellent and i did think i wish that she would do a little bit more of that sort of thing in her yes. act because that was well observed and funny and well timed i think so so yeah backstage with Catherine ryan it's on amazon prime hmm. Coming right up, the last word on Glastonbury from Billy mm. Eilish to Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Um, that's next after Crowded House. I'm really close tonight. And I feel like I'm moving inside her. Lying in the dark. And I think that I'm beginning to know her. Let it go. I'll be there when you call And whenever I fall At your feet You let your tears Rain down on me Whenever I touch Your slow turn
set was very well received at Glastonbury because it was basically loads of classy sing-along songs in a sunny afternoon. And what yes. more could you ask for? And I've, the Crowder House, one of those bands who part, I, I was, I felt like I was too young for them for years. And I know that sounds a bit snotty, but I just never really fell in with them. They, they always sounded a little bit. I put them in the same box as the Beautiful South, which is oh, mm. this is quite nice adult pop songs. I guess I'll like this when I'm older. And now, now I am quote unquote older. I really love Crowded House. I think their songs are really beautifully thought out and really sincere as well, actually. And I'm not a big fan of love songs in general but i find that genuinely quite moving and quite sweet that was crowded house and fall at your feet the album that it's from Woodface. it's a tremendous mm, album it's almost it like is. a greatest hits on exactly its own. why is there why is there a greatest hits when it is basically got, yes. Woodface, isn't it it's got weather with you it's got it's got it's got don't dream it's over on as well i don't think so it's got chocolate cake oh um, wow that is that is this it's is got about nearing. four or five singles yeah. but i don't think it's got don't dream it's a perfect glastonbury band on a sunny afternoon as you say um, we, we mentioned last week about the, the difference of enjoying Glastonbury from the warm embrace of the sofa to the reality of actually being there. A young family member um, was actually there last weekend. And oh, she, really? She really enjoyed the music and was excited to be home afterwards so that she could relive it all by watching yes, the recordings were made on indeed. television. Indeed. What she won't want to relive and what you don't realise at home, uh, she won't want to relive the three hour queue to get in yes. uh, to the site, the six hour queue to get out on Monday lunchtime. Wow, not surprised. And the um, hour long queues for the loos as well. Yes, indeed. And um, six days of jumbo wet wipes instead of shower. Wow, but, that's, a, that, that's, uh, that's an autobiography title, isn't it? Yeah. Six <laughs> days of one of jumbo wet wipes, my Glastonbury experience by a the, family the, member of certain Terence, yes. Indeed. I mean, you don't get the feel for all of that when you're watching Sir Paul McCartney no. whilst lounging on the sofa with a no. cool drink and a family pack of uh, potato crisps. You know? Exactly. Not, not that you have any familiarity with that scenario, but I commented <laughs> to, a, to a colleague today at work, I really enjoyed Glassman. They went, did you go? And I said, no, that's why I enjoyed it. Yes, I watched it in exactly. my house. It was lovely. Yes. I saw, you know, thanks to... I know there's always a debate, why does the BBC send 500 people to Glastonbury, et cetera, mm. et cetera. The coverage is world-class and 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 genuinely you can watch pretty much anyone you want now or on the major stages anyway we send our sympathies to a friend of mine whose band played one of the small blues field areas mm-hmm. i think i can't remember what it was called but she and her band arrived wednesday morning having had a fraught journey there i think there was some sort of technical problem with the van and they eventually got there and they got in and um approached security for you know a light check mm-hmm. One of the band members had pseudocreme on his nose, hmm. um, as a result of which they were all searched for two and a half hours oh. and all their gear, because one of the security people mistook it for another drug that is less legal. Uh, pseudocreme yeah. was on this chap's nose, as a result of which, in the oh, middle of all of this, God. my friend's drug, vitamins and supplements that she takes to combat the perimenopause went missing, to which oh. she said to the security people, so let me get this straight. You've searched us for drugs that we don't have, and in the process of which, you've actually managed to lose the drugs that I need to stay well for the next six days. So the moral of the story is, don't put your pseudocreme on your nose and try and go into glass. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Strange story, yeah. Very odd. I mean, it wasn't exactly the start to the experience they would have liked, but uh, they did have a lovely time. No, you know, there, there was none, no drugs of that nature I need to stress. No. And, and it was just a rather surreal opening. I think it's always um, 
worth sort of reminding ourselves that the live you, you don't get that sensory no experience you get a very small flavor of it we're, yeah. we're seeing a, a 2d flat version aren't we with none of the emotion you feel in there in a big crowd the sounds all around it's a very different experience but of course with wonderful sight lines on tv and i watched quite a lot of the coverage um without a, a huge amount of enthusiasm i have to say but then that was my issue and you know it's not the fault of the performers who, who no. generally receive very favorable reviews yes. in the press and positive reactions on social yes. media it's my age undoubtedly but i don't react well to 20 year olds on stage yelling at me and instructing me to close my eyes and breathe and tell the people next to me that how much i love them uh, well I, I mean but i think that's a you problem though terence i would I'll judge you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, and I, again, with the BBC, uh, I, you, you know, I've mentioned before, I don't feel we need the silly host, but use that money. No, to well, the habit, the having said that, I sound. do want to express sympathy and send best wishes to Lauren Laverne, who would have presented, oh, yeah. Yeah. and unfortunately, her mother passed away on Friday after an illness, and she, she was then um, not, not hosting and presenting, and that must have been. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine how I would feel if I found out that whilst doing yeah. that. So, so we send our sympathies. How, how broadly, how was Glastonbury 2022 for you then as seen on TV? Well, I, I enjoyed it because I'm younger and more open-minded yeah. than you. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, so, so for me, the peak Glastonbury watching experience, weirdly, was uh, June 2020 when Glastonbury couldn't happen. And I have to say, watching um, watching all the... Um, Watching all of the the old footage at a time when we were still in lockdown, I found almost impossibly moving. And that will mm. always be my peak watching Glastonbury on TV experience. Having said that, it's lovely to have it back. I was so thrilled, genuinely thrilled for everybody that went. I saw a lot of performances I really liked. Um, I saw lots of bands that I enjoyed. Um, I very much enjoyed Rebecca Taylor, a.k.a. Self-Esteem, and her um, excellent metallic stage wear that she wore. And um, she had, for people, she was wearing a sort of a brassiere that had very metal plates on it and she had posted a few days previously Glastonbury 2019 and a picture of herself and then Glastonbury 2022 and a picture of a large dome like a dome building and nobody could understand why she posted that and that was then of course obvious as soon as she entered the stage in her costume but I very much enjoyed her slightly saucy but very interesting and sort of nuanced grown-up lady pop i enjoyed the unusual experience of seeing my wet leg as as, as you oh, know you would call them yeah. my wet leg um, yeah. the shay long that i played last that i, I picked yeah. this podcast last year that i enjoyed so much they were very well received um you wouldn't have enjoyed them because i got the crowd to scream at one point but oh uh, but they i know i'm sorry but they did do an unlikely yet very enjoyable version of life is a roller coaster by ronan keating oh, which yeah. did not predict but it was very well done blossoms brought melanie c onto the stage to do to do wannabe there was some interesting and fun thing that happened particularly amongst younger bands which i enjoyed but i suspect we will now of course being the parish that we are have to go on to talk about sir paul mccartney's headlining performance mm. on saturday evening i watched quite a lot of it having come home from djing so the fact that it was on a delay didn't really affect me because i started watching it late anyway um I cried at various moments during yeah. it, actually, because I thought, and actually, we've debated on this podcast previously about Sir Paul's thin, aging voice. Mm. I mean, this man is 80. So, <laughs> so you know, and, and actually, I found it suitable 
for this. I thought the band and the backing singers played brilliantly and they did very well, the backing singers, in masking what they needed to, supporting him when they needed to support him. It was a brilliant full band performance. The delight surprises of David Grohl oh, and Springsteen. I mean, what a light what a lineup. How did they keep that quiet? Glastonbury yeah. is always full of rumours. And they matter sadly no Harry Styles. I'm sorry that he didn't he didn't <laughs> make it. But um but and I actually think that Paul's slightly aging, sort of thinning voice just added to the poignancy and the emotion of the moment I think he was a perfect choice as luck would have it for the first post-covid headliner I think this kind of the fact that everybody knows those songs he did a wide-ranging set of some really interesting stuff I was delighted to hear Junior's Farm can I just say and let him in which I love um and it was such an amazing community experience you could see the people sort of sit sort of singing along and actually so 80-year-old Paul McCartney duetting with young young John Lennon on I've Got a Feeling. That was that was incredible. And it just reminded us with his slightly thinning voice, we won't have these people forever, Terence. We will we will lose them soon or soon enough. And I just I just thought it was the fact it happened was wonderful. And of course there is now feverish debate over whether or not that was Paul McCartney's last big gig before before he stops playing. I mean, I personally think he'll stop playing when he's passed away. I think he'll always <laughs> find something to do. He'll always find somewhere to play. He'll always there'll always be someone that's happy to have him. I'll you know, the people that always be happy to see him. But I thought it was a very fitting set for the times and for the recovering times. And I you know, parts of it were a bit ropey, but it was wasn't it nice to have him there, and wasn't it nice that that we could be reminded that we have to cherish these people while we still have them? Yes, I mean I'll come back hopefully with a bit of warmth about Sir Paul in a moment as well. But there was there was much approval and cheer for Kendrick Lamar on Sunday yes. night, and yet you know again, and I won't go on about this, but I, I did. I've never felt more out of touch. It it wasn't that I disapproved or particularly disliked his sweary race heavy mm. narrative i just sat there feeling nothing ne- neither moved through inspiration nor aggrieved through negativity just nothing but i think in terms of big rapping headliners yeah. i have i thought stormzy did a very good job a few years ago and was a very hard act to follow i found him to be more charismatic mm. i um i enjoyed the fact that kendrick lamar used the platform to make comments about Ryan Wade at the end. I admired him mm. for that. But I I really like some of his music. Mm. I I I just I for me I felt that it might have been too soon for a headlining yeah, performance. Okay. That was my impression, I think. We came then you know, the regular issue, Diana Ross and Paul McCartney does a little yes. decline in the voice, ruin their shows. And I, I admit I used to focus on this a little bit mm. too much. But to take Sir Paul as the primary example, yes, as you say, he's eighty, he's a wonder and a marvel. The show was incredible. His band are fantastic. Mm. He's been with them twice as long as he played with the Beatles. Yes. Which people His forget. Song- yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's over 20 years with this band. His songs mean so much, as you say, it moves people to great emotion. He's Sir Paul McCartney. Nothing else matters. So for me, yeah, Paul McCartney won Glastonbury uh, 2022. Absolutely. And also on the subject of Diana Ross, mm. a, a good friend of mine and her partner went to Glastonbury. Mm. Um, they were very much looking forward to seeing Sir Paul McCartney and her partner is a bruce springsteen fan to the uh, point where he follows him on tour around america sometimes wow. he didn't know 
that he was oh, going to turn no. up. And she and she said it was just w- worth every single jumbo wet wipe to uh, to see that moment, yes. frankly. But they went to see Diana Ross, and I said because I I I didn't see Diana Ross's set for some days, and mm. I said, "What was Diana like?" I've seen very mixed reviews, and I haven't seen it yet. And she said, to be honest, having heard it back on the radio, she doesn't sound great. But no. when it was live and everybody was singing exactly. along, nobody noticed. And maybe that exactly. is the point That's here. It. Maybe, maybe you know, you sort of have to be there. Also, interestingly, it's worth watching. If you haven't seen or even if you have, it's worth watching Sir Paul McCartney's set back on iPlayer whilst you can because they it, it was meant to be up the next day and they took a very long time putting it up and there started to be concerns that the, that the stones it would be a rolling stone snare and it wouldn't go up for rights reasons what they did was they cleaned that sound up and it sounds absolutely oh, spectacular oh really oh good because iPlayer. the sound there's was a new, there's wobbly a new, at times there's yes. a new sound mix if you watch oh, it back Florence, the sound the sound mix is so oh, much will. better yeah. And it's great. I'm a, and actually, I have this on the authority of various people in the Nothing Is Real podcast Facebook group, oh, right. who are the Beatles uh, slash right. podcast, who are all very, very keen. And when mm. I watched it, I watched it because people were going on about it, and it is really good. The sound is great. I was pleased to hear that the woman who fainted about ten minutes into the uh, set, and Paul pointed it out and said, "Oh, what's going yes. on in the crowd there?" Um, that she did make a full recovery, but she's absolutely devastated. She's um, not a young person, and uh, I think she's a nurse. And she had stood there at the front for seven hours oh, to wow. maintain her place, and then fainted ten minutes in oh, and missed the me. entire thing because she oh, was taken no. away to the you know recovery yeah, tent. So, yeah. I am sorry. I hope Sir Paul might send her something. Yes, that would be a nice thing, wouldn't it? Coming right up. Oh no, modern culture is dying. I mean, you know, the huge is true. <laughs> That's next after Irena Mancini.
David Bowie's band in the 1970s, which is a rather neat background to have. Um, for the last year or so, she's been concentrating on making music in her solo career. I love that track. It's her new single, very 1960s, is from a, a movie mm. soundtrack. Yes, I, I, I really liked that vibe about it. I was yeah. really, really taken by it. Irena Mancini and Undo the Blue. And it's a brilliant name as well. It's almost yeah. like she's some... <laughs> Ex- you remember all the exotic, exotic. sort of yes. um, 60s Italian and French girl Absolutely. pop stars? She sounds like she could be one of those, doesn't she? You could you could imagine if there was a video with Michael Caine driving yes. through Italy. Through, you and, know, and people in sort of, you know, sort of dotted sort of miniskirts and things like yes. that. It's got that yes. real sort right. of cool to it. One way of looking at the state of play in the arts at the moment would, would be to say that we're creating nothing new. The Rolling Stones and Elton John are in Hyde Park. Paul McCartney, as we've just been talking about, topping the bill at Glastonbury. Kate Bush is at number one in the UK in the singles charts. Tom Cruise is back in the mm. United States Navy strike force again. Uh, concern about cultural decline is a kind of regular complaint been mm. there throughout my life it seems to emerge every few years or so especially when there's any short-lived revival from a previous era but we we don't say theater is dead because as you like it or 12th night yes. still being staged um when the beatles first appeared on radio and television i remember older commentators lining up to tell us that the end of civilization was nigh with these long-haired buffoons whipping mm. up the emotions of our young people um but today the question is being asked again uh sequels prequels uh spin-offs remixes mm. remastered are we being sold the same thing in new packaging jewels modern culture is dying and you know what the ironic thing about this article is in the Telegraph? Simon Reynolds wrote an excellent book about this called Retromania: How Pop it, how, how Pop is constantly recycling its past in 2011. So this has managed to recycle a decade-old argument that has already been argued. So, so you know, kudos to that in a way. It's an excellent book. I would recommend that people read it. Um, 
I mean, I could talk to you about that, but really, this article that we looked at in the Telegraph by Chris Harvey, I, there are different. They try to go through and take pot shots at all different aspects of art and culture, and actually, I think there are some. Some has some arguments have more merits than other. I completely agree with him about the dem, not the demise, but the decline of even of, of mainstream cinema. I still find films that I enjoy watching. There are still art house films there is still you know documentary films there's still the good old-fashioned brit film industry i very much enjoyed my first trip back to the cinema and i went about a month or two ago since um since 20 february 2020 i went to see david copperfield at the cinema and then i went to see operation mincemeat two and a bit years later so i'm very much a fan of a brit film but in terms of mainstream cinema films sort of big box office cinema films makes this point in 1973, the top 10 films in North America, people went to see The Exorcist, The Sting, American Graffiti, Papillon and Last Tango in Paris, all originals. Bond had an entry with Live and Let Die, um, Serpico, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mean Streets, Don't Look Now and The Wicker Man. That's a, that's a huge run of films that have really stood the test of time, but are quite Certainly, different in different ways. Exactly. You'd watch all of those, wouldn't you? Now, probably, <laughs> the choice and if you fast forward to 2022 um the release of top gun maverick jurassic world dominion sequels to ancient films one week in june those two films together accounted for 92 percent of uk box office takings exactly so i am I just I'm depressed by the constant remake of films that don't need to be remade, um, that don't bring anything new to remakes. Mm. And maybe people were spurned by the Ghostbusters saga in 2016, where they had the audacity to remake a film with women in it. And lots of men on the Internet got very threatened and upset. And I wonder if that's put mainstream Hollywood off trying to make remake anything in an interesting way. I'm I'm over the Marvel Cinematic University. I'm I'm over <laughs> the endless endless reconfiguring of all these different superhero films, half of whom nobody knows anyway. Come on, no one knew who Black Widow was, and and you know it's it's all very tedious. So that is all that is getting made. It would seem all of the budgets go towards those those kind of things, and I do find that depressing, and I do think it's a backward step. Having said this, Simon Reynolds puts out about music. No one genre of music ever supplants another. And actually, music has been borrowing off itself since since time immemorial. So so I'm I think that there is a tendency for all writers. And we've joked about David Hepworth's book and his the paragraph at the beginning that was slightly sort of self-knowingly saying everybody thinks at the time when they were young was the best. But mm. the difference is I'm right about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I mean, everyone thinks that the the world is never better than it was when they were 17. And that's always everybody's. And I take the point that the 60s were an incredibly revolutionary time. I also take the point that punk was really exciting. I also take the point that, you know, the Smiths leading the charge in the 80s, the Unomantics, the Mod Revival, Baggy at the end of it, the era of rave in the 90s, Britpop, Trip Hop. I take that all of that was is very good and they can all be very good and actually you know you 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 hit the nail on the head when when you know you you you're it's well within your rights not to enjoy things but you kind of said well it's it's not for me is it because i'm mm-hmm. at an older age where i'm i'm not here and and i think 
that people think that pop culture has has to keep up with them if you see what i mean yeah. and it's like no it doesn't the, the point of pop culture is that it evolves and then it moves on and i can see the point that it's frustrating when it doesn't evolve and move on and you just get the same old remakes again and again the same old marvel films and i find that absolutely sort of annoying yeah. having said that it, is it rather than it being oh well you know there's nothing for me now is it just that you're not hearing it because it's not for you? Is it that you're not watching it because it's not for you? Because the way in which we consume media and young people consume media has changed beyond all recognition, really. So much happens on TikTok. So much happens on YouTube. You can only really scratch the surface. I think I'm great on pop culture. And then I do the quizzes that I do. And I get <laughs> asked about TikTok stars. I haven't got a clue, Terence, because I, I, don't, I don't watch it. I don't consume it. I don't watch the YouTube stars. Yet... They get hundreds of millions of views and yeah. loads of young people watch them and really like them. And that is their culture. And I think, well, do you know what? Yeah, I find it annoying that, that, that the mainstream in some instances has become hijacked by remakes of things. Having said that, there's a lot of stuff that's really good that's still being made. And there'll always be a lot of stuff that's being made that's really good. And And just because you're not seeing it or hearing it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I think there's a bit of an element of that happening here. I think that's so very, very true. I don't believe modern culture is dying. In terms of, um, well, music alone, we, I mean, we've remarked yeah. before uh, how 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify daily. Um, 300 hours of video are upload, uploaded to YouTube every minute. That's 432,000 videos every day uploaded to YouTube. They can't all be derivative. But... Um, I think one of the things is that life moves faster than ever. Previous generations, mm. they had stability in output, radio, TV, cinema, books, newspapers. Now it changes while we blink. New te new technologies. Mm. I mean, gaming has become a huge part of life for many oh, young absolutely, people. Absolutely. Completely and, agree. Yeah. And the ability to make music. Well, you can make an album on a laptop now and no one could tell the difference if it was made no. in Abbey Road. You know, you can make you can make a film on an iPhone and it's can, pretty much yeah. the same, isn't it? And also when, when I was young, there were maybe one or two bands in each town. Um, now there are 10 bands or artists in every street. So sometimes we look back and we celebrate as we say, Kate Bush or Paul McCartney or Tom Cruise, or indeed, I don't know, Mozart, Yeats, Sheridan, yeah. Lord Byron. But there's still plenty of innovation hurtling along. Um, I think culture never dies. It just changes. Yeah, it just evolves or it, or it just, you know, and unfortunately, in the case of mainstream cinema, I think it's perhaps devolved for a bit. But having said that, you could argue that people said that in the age of the talkies, you know, maybe it's me that's wrong or maybe it just needs to find its feet and move on to to something else. Really, it's um, and interestingly, there's I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with it with cinema going mainstream. And I totally get the circumstances in which cinema was operating last year and how they needed to release a big film to persuade people back. Um, I know that Bond was delayed in the end, but having said that, you can criticise the fact that my friend went to a cinema in London and all 28 screens or whatever it was were showing the James Bond film. <laughs> I have to say, No Time to Die is my favourite Bond film in years and possibly in my top five ever. I thought it was a brilliant 
brilliant film for the times we were in. I thought it was beautifully done. A fitting goodbye to Daniel Craig, who's been great as Bond, I think, who's been underappreciated and has just got on with it and done a great job. So I'm not necessarily decrying the fact that big things are being made. It's just annoying that they suck so much of the budget. And I had to book an afternoon off work to go and see Operation Mince Me at the cinema, a film which you'd think would have fairly broad appeal because it wasn't on for very long yet i could have watched two different marvel films across three different screens so oh, so i do are. get a bit yeah. but then having said that perhaps that means that there's less of me than there are marvel fans and you know i've seen some and enjoyed them i'm just a bit sick of them all the time but you know that's just my bugbear thank you very much for listening this week very kind of you to stay for the journey absolutely i echo the sentiments of the right honorable gentleman now, we said uh, modern culture is definitely not dying, and <laughs> you you can prove that by um, catching a whole shed load of culture with Juliet on the radio. You can, although ironically, a lot of it comes from the 70s, so <laughs> I don't know if I'm actually proving this. But no, but I, so I did this radio show um, on Sunday evenings on Noisebox Radio, noiseboxradio.com, internet station, and it's called Smooth Sailing. And I started it off, it's worth talking about it actually in the context of what we've been talking about. I started it off in, in lockdown, in the first lockdown in April 2020, because I knew when we were coming into it, that I probably wanted to get back on the radio for a bit. It would be a good time to try and bring people together. And I worked out finally how to use Mixer, which was the platform I was using at the time at home. And I, the thought occurred to me that I could do, I could have done Indie Wonderland. I did do smooth. I did do um, Saturday Social for a while. And it was nice to do that again. But um, that I wanted to do something new, but that something that was comforting, that just was not too troubling, that was just perhaps nostalgic was warm that people could take comfort in even if they wouldn't take comfort in it in public in some of the music that was played i don't agree with the concept of guilty pleasure but i do agree that we some we publicize more of our likes than we do others i do understand that and i just thought it would be a nice thing for people to do and people really warmed to it and it was really lovely to be able to do that and so as a result of which a lot of the music on it Ten is yacht rock and easy listening and sort of tends towards the nostalgic, you know, people, you know, listening to the carpenters and enjoying it, for example, and things like that. But I also try and bring in stuff that's a bit more modern, stuff that's a little bit more out there sometimes. Like you might hear some Portishead or something like that. And occasionally I'll come across, um, you know, Phoebe Alice Lou that did Touch a year ago that I absolutely adored. I might play some Jesse Ware. And I, I, I'm trying to sort of bring some modern things in as long as it fits with the general vibe of being sort of relaxing for a Sunday evening but also sort of pleasurable and uplifting then then it can go there so maybe there is a way that you can square the circle of old and new excellent um playing us out a very short-lived band yeah absolutely one proper album and a live Mm. album a decade later and that's your lot the best band that most people have never heard, in my view, the brilliant Life Without Buildings from the Glasgow School of Art. Uh, the lead singer, Sue Tonkins, went on to be nominated for the Beck's Art Prize at one point, apparently. So, so not quite the all singing, all dancing, all achieving Tallulah Gosh lineup that have all gone on to achieve amazing things. But a really underrated band that I loved from the minute I first heard them as a teenager. I thought they were they were just like nothing I'd really heard very much. And I still haven't heard a lot that's like them. I think the dry cleaning that we've spoken about before and that you introduced me to oh a bit to this lot i think i really like dry cleaning but there is this lot lot were doing this about 20 years ago i think i I, and this song i've always found really moving um really sort of it fits it's there's such a sort of poignancy to it and i think really fits the fact that the singer 
it's not always singing. <laughs> I think that kind of works really well. I find this really confessional and yeah. really intimate, and I love this. Uh, this is Life Without Buildings and The Lean Over. If I lose you, if I lose you, if I lose you, if I lose you, the huh, the huh, the huh, mmm. If I, if I, if I, if I, if I, baby, if I lose you, if I lose you, the huh, the huh, if I lose the street, if I lose the street, if I lose the street, not if I lose the street, if I lose, don't miss that. If I lose the street, if I lose the street, hey, if I lose the street, GG, come in, come in, come in, feel for you, kiss me. Shake you, baby. He's a shaky baby. He's a shaky baby. Contact. Swallow, twirl, 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 tw
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>